Hello, everyone. Welcome to Language and You. Today, we're going to be talking about language and culture in U.S. schools, uh, historical and present day context. Um, my name is Emily. I'm Manny. I'm Teddy. I'm Madison. And you'll be joining us today along on this our conversation about um, the film Stolen Education and the podcast Coach Switch, Ek Olaka Elo Hawaii. Um, and yeah, so I guess to kind of kick things off, um, which did you guys think was something important or that stuck out to you all about the the stolen education film? To begin with, something that stood out to me was the three-year program for the first grades. That's something I never knew about before. It was truly shocking to me that they had to go through a, what was it? A beginner, a low class and a high class level of first grade just because they were Mexican and they believed that they didn't know English at the time. Yeah, I think that that honestly also really like stuck out to me, especially I didn't realize that like when they showed it on the film, like they had them specifically also in the yearbook laid out that way. Um, I I thought it was a more of an internal thing until I, I until they figured I saw the yearbook throughout like the, the on the film. And I was just like, wow, like the students really had that like all up in their face in a sense. Yeah, I think another important thing to note is that this happened after Brown versus Board of Education. And so, like, I didn't realize that after that, schools were finding their own ways to segregate students. And I honestly just think that's really sad that they still continue to segregate just, like, within a school. Agreed. And uh, this was in Texas, but it wasn't just in Texas that people were doing this, which I also think is important to note. Yeah. And I think it just goes back to like the his, like just history, how historic, like the colonial structures that we've we've talked about in class, um, and just the way in which it it's been it's always been present, and it's something that it's still prevalent even to today in the different structures, the lack of resources, the inequity in funding uh, between like schools, um, especially those with higher but with students that with the higher population of students of color. Um, and so we continue to see this. Um, but I think something that also stuck out to me about the video was just um, just how vulnerable all of like the interviewees were um, and like their emotions that they like brought out throughout um, the like the video while they were being. I think one of the interviewees were talking about how like they kind of felt like ashamed and embarrassed and like how they also look back on like if they didn't like you know if they didn't see themselves in like those three years the different like the high low um and beginner like levels um how she she was talking about how like oh i i would have made something of myself so kind of how like those like distinguishing ideas kind of like stuck out throughout yeah, so like going back to, I mean, well, continuing on with like the film Still in Education, um, I thought like what another thing that really stuck out to me was just the fact of like their like students, um, young, like young students were being uh, penalized for like speaking Spanish. And I think for me as a bilingual speaker, 
who also speaks Spanish. It's like it kind of it's kind of like like imagine I couldn't speak Spanish in class. Like I could I could not imagine I cannot imagine myself not speaking Spanish. And so like thinking about that and how if I was a student and a teacher would be like, no, you can't speak Spanish. I would, you know, like it's just part of who I am. So I could only imagine what these students were, were going through. I mean, obviously I will never really truly fully understand what they were going through because I was not in their shoes, but um, I could only imagine um, what that must have felt like at that time um, for these students where Spanish was being spoken a lot and within their own homes and like they were coming to school to learn and like they were kind of being neglected of like their own identity. Yeah, even by accident, you'd have kids speaking Spanish just to, that's what they are able to speak at home. So like, oh no, I dropped something and then I exclaim in Spanish and you're getting in trouble for that. That's insane to me. And then also, like, they were getting in trouble for speaking Spanish during recess when that's, like, free play time, like, with their friends who, like, also speak Spanish. I feel like they shouldn't have been getting in trouble for speaking their home language when they're just playing with their friends. Yeah, and I think that it just, like, it just goes to show just uh, uh, the amount of, like, the emphasis or, like, the emphasis that English was being put on these students and, like, how English is continued to be like a scene of like this higher, I don't know, entity, not entity, but like just the power, the supremacy of English and just, um, yeah, the power that it holds, not even within the United States, but even globally, um, you see how English is even like, just it's being, it's, it's used everywhere. Like it's very, you know, um, like usually most countries like, speak English for tourist reasons. Yeah, and yeah. so um, I think that's also interesting to know. Um, but also like how in both the film and the podcast kind of talked about how um, speaking English was um, was seen as like to be successful. Um, because I know that Larry um, in the podcast was like talking about how um, when he was trying to talk with his grandmother in, um, in Hawaiian, um that that she stopped at some point and was like started to talk english because like they so in a sense like they were associating like being successful or making it moving forward in life with with being uh, with being able to talk talk to with being able to speak english um and so yeah just speaks to that supremacy aspect of it also, something that surprised me in today's class was the Watcher Speech Pledge that students had to recite in school. I just feel like it's too, um, what's the word? Too strong, I guess. Like, more like, it feels like they're like over empowering the language of English. Just like for an example, I love the United States of America. I love my country's language. And then they list all these promises saying that they will not dishonor their country's speech by leaving out the last syllable of words. They will say correctly yes and no instead of an Indian grunt, which I'm like shocked that they will put something like that inside a pledge. 
for kids to like spread and everything, you know. And yeah. Yeah. Like how we were talking about in class, um, even how Dr. Monica was explaining um, about just like how like language can be used or English in the sense would be used to define what being American means. Just like defining or, you know, using, yeah, using English to define or like to uphold American values or what it means to be American and to prove that you are American in a sense, um, which has been used against many people as we've seen. Um, but, and they're doing this to children and like, like the punishments that are being put on these children for speaking their own home language in public. That's all they were doing and they're getting paddled and hit on the hands with rulers. The idea that a teacher could do that, could look at a child and punish them in that way. And I know corporal punishment has been around for a long time and used by a lot of people, but the clear and distinct lack of compassion on the part of the teachers, it was horrifying. Yeah, I think that that's that uh, my mom, uh, she was an immigrant, well, she immigrated here from Mexico when she was like about eight years old. Um, and so obviously she only knew uh, Spanish when she was starting school. Um, and so she would always, she always talks to me and my, like my other siblings about how um, it was hard for her to transition into speaking only Spanish and then going to school um, where she, where English was being forced upon her. Um, and she's just like, she's like, I just remember feeling like I just didn't know like what I was able to really, like what I was supposed to do. Like she's like, I couldn't even understand or read the book. And, um, and she's like, and that's why I feel like, um, yeah, it's like she, right now, like she speaks English really fluently. Um, so you would have never have guessed like she um, was a native Spanish speaker. Um, but it just comes to terms of like how um, kind of like English was like always put, like her teachers would always be like, make sure you're only speaking English and like how she felt that pressure and like that pressure to kind of like get it right or like, you know, rather than like, you know, so it's, she kind of just talks about her experience in that sense. And it's similar to some of the experiences that were shared in the, in the podcast as, I mean, in the film as well. Another thing that, uh, disturbed me in the movie was when um, one of the interviewees was talking about when she was, I think, eight years old, um, she went up to the teacher and asked to go to the bathroom because she really had to go. And the teacher told her no, which I've definitely seen happen before uh, many times, but she then proceeded to use the bathroom in the middle of the class because she couldn't hold it. And the way that she talked about that experience, even some 50 or 60 years later, she was still so traumatized and disturbed by that. And I, I think anyone hearing that would be disturbed by 
how awful that teacher was to her. And then the teacher proceeded to just tell her to go home to clean herself up instead of helping in any way. So she made her walk home like that as an eight-year-old in front of people. Yeah, and those are like very like traumatic experiences. I know that in the film she says, like she specifically says, um, like something very tra- like that was something very traumatic that you don't forget. And so even like, you know, many, many years have, well, many years have passed and, um, but she still remembers that experience very clearly. I think it just comes with the term of like the, the trauma that is occurring at that very moment or, you know, within the classroom and how that brings on into like this, this trauma within generations, not even this trauma within like experiences themselves, but also trauma with like the language of Spanish and like how that's being spoken. Um, and like how there's like this generational theme within like both like um, the podcast and the, the film um, and how like Spanish, like most of the students who were being um, scolded about speaking English, I mean, speaking Spanish, um, they didn't, they chose not to teach Spanish or speak Spanish with their own children because of those very like traumatic experiences that they faced. And like, they did not want their children to go through those experiences themselves. Um, Manny, I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you want to build on that with your brother's experience. Um, uh, well, something that my brother like is going through, it's like we speak Spanish at home and like it's, yeah. My parents only speak Spanish. They don't know any English. So we only talk in Spanish in my house. But my brother, he doesn't know Spanish. He only knows English. So that's, he struggles with Spanish. Like, he will say the wrong words for, like, some basic words, easy words. And that's something that surprises me because all our lives we spoke in Spanish. I don't speak English at home. And that's like surprising. Like, I will not speak English at home for some reason. And my brother speaks to me in English. I speak to him in Spanish. But I don't know. I feel like that's something. It's not necessarily trauma, but something that may ha- may happen to other people too. Um, yeah, maybe they just don't learn it as much in public or they just don't want to learn it that's something i want to learn more about as well yeah yeah that's definitely worth exploring and i mean i feel like it's common in a sense or at least in my family like i definitely have cousins who don't speak spanish and or who don't yeah who don't speak spanish and they're they could like understand it very well um it's just like they just don't speak it and i mean it just happens I would say, yeah. but I think it's a great point of like. I also think of that like happens research. with other languages too. Like my cousins are part Greek, but like they don't speak any Greek or like mm-hmm. any of the language. Like I think my uncle speaks a little bit, and I know that their grandma like is fluent in it, but like they don't really know it at all. Yeah, yeah, and I think it just also kind of connects to like um, the podcast in terms of like how language 
um, can be passed down within like generations and how sometimes even that it's lost like without like the starting the school or starting a program like the the language the Hawaiian language would have been lost you know like because the elders were passing away um, so I think going to the podcast it like within that we have like this generational theme of like resistance and how like um, their Hawaiian language was kind of um, was like a form of resistance um, with uh, with the use of like English and like just the the own colonization that was occurring um, on their land. Um, yeah, so we see how like language travels through generations, and then um, how like powerful like that the like in the podcast like the having like the daughter and then the mother kind of talk about their experiences with the language and how I think that was like a very powerful emotional moment um, and just like how language can be like bringing people together but also as a point of like celebration, a point a point of joy um, for a lot of people. And I thought that was a powerful moment within like the podcast itself. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we can see really clearly just from the podcast how if you're not getting the institutional support for your language, like you can't use Hawaiian in court for legal purposes. Um, and they weren't teaching it at any schools for so long. Um, and then that, that puts the responsibility on the individual families to keep that language going. And that, that happens with other languages too, of like, well, if I can't learn Spanish or learn in Spanish at school, then it's not my parents' responsibility and my responsibility to keep that going for me. And if they don't want to, like some of the parents and grandparents didn't want their children to learn anything other than English, um, then it just stops. And until you decide yourself that you want to keep doing that, then you only know English. So the, the way that Larry in the podcast just decided to take it on himself to help other people with this and keep the Hawaiian language alive and create that institutional support, that was really amazing to me. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think that also continues to, even at the end, how they ended it with like, I believe it was Larry or maybe someone else affiliated with the school, but um, how they were talking about how Hawaiian is still not like commonly spoken within like the day-to-day -day, like context of society. So like at stores, within the bank, and like how you mentioned like within the government like spaces. And so how that is still a constant battle to be able to like, um, what's the word? Just to be able to like how to, for, I guess for the Hawaiian language to seem as legitimate to other people outside of the culture. Um, I think that's something that stuck out to me at the end of the podcast. Um, and I don't know if there were other things that um, stood out to other people about like the podcast in itself. I think like for the podcast, it was just really interesting to listen to like all of the different stories of the people learning it. Like I think there was someone who 
his like kids were in that school, but like he didn't know Hawaiian. And it was really cool to see how they had all of like the parent classes for all of the parents to like learn it so that they can speak it with their children and so that they can also kind of regain that part of their culture that they lost by not learning the language as kids and by like just not having it around. Yeah. Definitely. Um yeah, and, and we and so like as we saw like today in class, we continue to see how language and how other forms of thinking with critical race theory or um, well theories and other like other policies are continuing to like um, limit the types of like learning that goes on in classrooms or um, especially with like the Arizona Proposition 203 that is still like banning bilingual education in Arizona till this present day. Um, and then like even like banning um, like ethnic studies um, and so on and so forth. It's just like a limiting to the education that we, we see. And, um, and we were able to see this like through the maps. I'm not sure if anyone wants to talk about the I also think like an important thing to note like with talking about this topic is that a lot of people don't know that this is still going on today and we think of it as like oh that happened in the past like I didn't realize that this was still going on today and so I started taking like education 201 and education 202 like in college and like this class because this isn't talked about like in high school so and especially since some of this is still going on today yeah, and specifically, there's 28 states in the country, that's more than half the U.S., that are restricting education and racism, bias, and the, and the contributions of specific racial or ethnic groups to, the, to U.S. history or any type of related topics. And that's something that really surprises me and shocks me, as I'm a history education track, um, what's it called? Some of this stuff is like we've learned about all our lives and then there's like other states that don't want to teach this. They don't want to teach any other type of history that involves non-Americans, like something like that. Um, Yes. So, for example, in Georgia, the governor, Brian Kemp, um, sent a letter to the State Board of Education opposing critical race theory in our schools, saying it's anti-American. And, yeah, there's so many restrictions on teaching. Most states don't want critical race theory being taught in their classrooms, and they don't want any instruction based on racism, white privilege, and any other classroom setting. And even when it's not like a law, there are still practices that are just kind of there, or practices that haven't been questioned that are holding people back from really understanding the contributions of everyone every American, everyone elsewhere as well, that we have to continue to examine. Like just because one law was a good idea a while ago doesn't mean it still is. And we have to 
to keep paying attention to things like that, even in the states that aren't actively legally opposing um, critical race theory. Yeah, definitely. I think that, I don't know, for me, it's always just like, like, I feel like a lot of people don't truly know what critical race theory is. And I feel like there's a lot of assumptions within um, those that are against it. <laughs> um, because I think like, for me, like critical race theory is like pretty powerful in the sense that it's a lot of like, a lot of sharing of different viewpoints, which I like appreciate because like, I did not learn about critical race theory until college. And, and I think that's something that definitely should be taught at like a younger age and or just in general, like there should be multiple perspectives when teaching subjects, especially like history, especially and um yeah other like when reading like specific books and like in in class and um there definitely should be a wide range of viewpoints like already like and for there to not be i think it's just very problematic of the school system in the united states today yeah and going back to the maps um something else that i found shocking about it was that only 15 states are expanding education on racism bias and any other racial education. For example, the state of Illinois um, just recently added um, Asian American history to their curriculum and California issued a statewide ethnic studies curriculum. And in the state of, I believe, um, it was one of the states in the South, they, Louisiana. Um, black history students are now eligible for state-funded scholarships, which is something that they should always been eligible for, not just because of their race, you know. And yeah, um, some other states are just expanding education on anti-blackness. Um, African history, African-American history, and some other states are just revisiting state standards. They're reviewing their tenure plans, their tenure plan on education, curriculums, and see what needs to be fixed and what needs to be changed. And yeah, I just believe that all states should revisit their state standards and what's it called? Um, change their curriculums to more a more modern effect to take more modern effects on their students and their diverse populations. It's important to look at it in, in every subject area too because I think a more straightforward aspect of teaching about uh, the successes of people from different racial and ethnic groups is in history classes or in literature classes where you can pull up a story that happened in history and just talk about that of like the the court case we've been talking about earlier in this podcast um here's some mexican americans taking control of their education and fixing things for themselves but um in science and math classes too, to remember that 
white people aren't the only ones who've made advancements. Um, yeah. There's an entire world out there of invention and creation that um, we need to acknowledge in the classroom and, and talk about. Yeah, definitely. Especially like even learning how to apply the different concepts within your own community. You know, I think that's something because most of like sometimes um, teachers can forget like that they're coming into a community and like there's a lot of different work that's happening within the ground that I feel like they could definitely like make different lessons about or like apply like for their students to be able to learn more about um, like specific um things that are happening within the community itself that will help like um, the students feel more centered within their schooling and community. Yeah, so I think um, that's all for, for today, folks. Um, but thank you for turning, tuning in to Language and You. Um, stay tuned for next week on our next podcast. Um, but yeah, until then, goodbye. Have a great day.